Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, hello, hello one and all and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast. With a difference, I'm Joe Haddow and wherever you're listening from, it's great to have you with us. How are you? Doing okay? Yeah, good. It's raining here. If you're a new listener to Book Off, well, welcome. And remember, all of our episodes from the past nine series are available to listen at any time you like. And very excitingly, ladies and gentlemen, we have some new swag. Yes, for the first time ever, we have some Book Off merchandise available in the form of a rather classy, if I do say so myself, tote bag. If you'd like to see them in all their glory, then head over to our socials. And if you like the look of them, you can treat yourself or a book-loving friend. Enough of the hard sell, though, and on to much more important things, because today I'm joined by two titans of the literary world. My first guest is an international crime and thriller author who's published over 20 critically acclaimed novels in 39 different languages, and many of those have been optioned for film and TV. He also shares with me a love of film soundtracks, which we will no doubt be discussing in some guys a bit later. Here to tell us about his latest novel, Take Your Breath Away, it's Linwood Barkley. Hello to you. Hello. How you doing, Joe? It's nice to be here. So lovely to see you again. Not in person, sadly, but it's uh, lovely to have you here nonetheless. And my second guest is a former trial lawyer and now one of the world's best-selling thriller writers who sold over 150 million books worldwide count them as well as writing for over 40 bestsellers he's also the co-founder of the wish you well foundation a non-profit organization dedicated to supporting literacy efforts across the u.s here to tell us about his latest novel mercy and his new new novel dreamtown it's david baldacci welcome to book off david it's great to be here thank you thank you both it's lovely to have you with us and uh, david linwood linwood david but i think you've met before you're old friends aren't yes. you we met, yeah, absolutely, virtually. yes. We're virtual friends. That's right. Yes. Virtual, virtual friends, yes. Aren't we all the these days? <laughs> and do we find you in uh, sunny Virginia, David, or sunny Florida? Sunny sunny Florida. I don't know if it's sunny in Virginia. My, my kids are up there. I think it's about 30 degrees cooler, so I'm glad oh, I'm right. down here. I think so we know, we know that you've got the, the, better, <laughs> the better end of the deal there. And how is, uh, how is Toronto, Linwood? Very, very cold, and I'm deeply envious of where David is. It's very, we still got snow on the ground from a massive storm two and a half weeks ago, and right now it's, we think in Celsius here, but where are we now? We're probably 
about uh, minus 20 Celsius out there right now. So, yeah, it's just not pleasant. No. Okay. No, you stay better staying indoors and, uh, you know, recording a podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, over the next sort of 30 minutes or so, we're going to talk about your new books, which I've mentioned. We're going to get some recommendations from you of things you've read and enjoyed recently. And of course, we will do the book off where each of you gets to pitch a book that you absolutely love, that you think that we should all read and tell us why. But before we get to that, I'd like to, first of all, talk about Take Your Breath Away, Linwood. This um, is your latest novel, just come out, and congratulations on it. And this one intrigued me from the get-go, I got to say, because you're sort of writing something that seems impossible, which which pulled me in. Maybe you could just set that up for us and then set up the story of, of Andrew Mason. Well, you know, in fact, this is an idea, this, this setup, this kind of opening, what's actually first chapter after a prologue, this opening scene is an idea I had about maybe three, four years ago, and I couldn't figure out what how the, this thing happened until and then about a year and a half ago I did and I thought okay now I can write this and and this premise is you have a if you have an automobile car pulling into a driveway there's a woman in the car she's been to the grocery store she's come home there's she's at the right address and she gets she's seemingly been gone a few minutes she gets out of the car and she looks and she says where is my house now there's a house there but it's not her house her house looked very different this is a new house new design new architecture and so forth and she says where is my house and in a panic she gets her car and drives off and the neighbor observes this and thinks that the woman in that car looks possibly like the woman who lived in a house that was once on that site six years ago that house was later torn down a new house was built on its site and it looks like that woman so it's as if you know, six years have gone by in the in the matter of minutes, and she's come back from the store and like, where's where's my where's the house? The main story is about a guy named Andrew Mason, whose wife did in fact disappear six years ago. They lived at that address at the time, and he was always suspected by the police of having somehow done away with her, but they never nailed him for it. And now he's trying to get his life back together. He has a new partner. He's you know getting on, and then lo and behold, one Saturday morning he gets a call that. Someone just showed up at your old address who looks a lot like your wife. And that is our jumping off point for Take Your Breath mm. Away. Yes, it is. When when you get an idea like that, Linwood, and David, a question for both of you, but I'll start with you, Linwood. Just when you get an idea like that, but you don't know necessarily how to do it straight away. So you said, you know, it was a couple of years ago when that first spark happened. What do you do? Do you just leave it, let it percolate and hope something will come or do you try and force it? <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I had, uh, I can say I had written probably two or three books, other novels before I went back to this. I, as I was selling somebody else one time, I was like, I put it in the freezer and by the time I pulled it out, it had sort of, you know, dry freezer rot all over it. But it just, <laughs> I thought, I thought, I finally was thinking about it more seriously and I sort of sat down with a piece of paper and said, what are the, all of the possible reasons that this could have happened? And mm. and then when I had one I liked, I thought, well, does that work? And I thought, it doesn't or it does. And then finally I hit upon an idea. I thought, this is how I can do it. And and I need to know before I start writing that a book with that kind of an opening, I need to know what set of circumstances came into play to make that happen before I start. I have, may not have it all worked out, but I need to know at least that. And when I finally okay. came up with, I thought... An, an explanation for why this happened. I thought, okay, I'm ready. I can do this book. 
Have you had ideas like that as well, David, where you sort of go, oh, that would be great for a start of a novel or the or the main sort of section, but I don't know how I'm going to get there or get out of it? I think it, it's it's a great you know, writing illustration because it's I sort of call it writing yourself into a corner and writing yourself out of the corner. Right. Um, and... It, it, and it's a great, you know, Linda, that's a great premise for a story. And then you kind of figure out it sounds implausible and wacky. And how, how can anybody make, deliver this and make people believe it could actually happen? But that's that's the challenge of writing a cool book. You figure mm-hmm. it out and you make it plausible and you make people believe this can actually happen. And yeah, I, I've done that before. I, I'm not an outliner where I outline everything from A to Z. I don't know the ending of the novel. I, I compare it to, you know, writing... Writing an outline is very different from writing a novel. The stakes and the urgency are not there in writing an outline, but they are when you're writing the novel. And it's almost like the difference between planning a battle and actually fighting in it. Um, because the decisions you make while you're actually fighting it will matter to whether you live or you die. Whereas the outline is sort of, you know, two, two degrees away from that kind of intensity. Um, so I, you know, I will come up with what seem to be sort of implausible premises. And then if I can figure out at least broadly how I can make this plausible, then the rest of the journey is really the micro details of how to build that story so people read it and go, shit, that could happen. Yeah, I understand mm-hmm. that. I, I get that. It sounds wacky, but the guy delivered on it. And that's that's what makes the world go round. That's what it makes it nice to sit down in front of a computer and or a piece of paper and write a story. Um, and that's why I don't want to know the ending of any of my book before I sit, because I miss the journey, you know, that I go on. And I'm asking my writers to go on the, the readers to go on the same journey as I'm going on. And it almost feels like a cheat that I, I knew the ending before I sat down to write it. You know, it's yeah. funny. I had I had just finished last week writing what would be the 2023 book, and as and as you know, as, as David kind of says, I see the the big picture, but the little particulars along the way, I don't I don't see the potentials that exist until I get there. Although I do have a sense of where I want to finally end up. But it was funny. I got I was writing this book, and I got sort of held up at one point, and I kind of stopped writing for a couple of days because I was trying to figure out where I was going to go from there. And, and uh, without giving anything away, I thought, I know what I'm doing wrong. I'm putting the wrong person in the trunk. <laughs> and and, and yeah. then I said, not that person. This person goes in the trunk. And then it all became clear. It all came together. Yeah. Yeah. Flex, flexibility. That. Flexibility is the key when you're writing. And, and you, you can't, you know, nothing is set in stone while you're writing a story. And if you got to, you know, go right instead of left, Go right instead of left. If it, if it yeah. fits the story and, and makes the story the way you want it to be, go for it. I'm looking forward to your version of Stephen King's on writing, Linwood, which is called The Wrong Guy in the Truck. You know, that's going to be your <laughs> your book about writing now. <laughs> and David, I mentioned Mercy early on. This is uh, this is out, this book. It was actually published last year, wasn't it? And it's the, the fourth Atlee Pine. I do want to talk about your new new novel, which is coming here in the UK anyway in April. Um, but for those that may not know of Atlee, uh, I'm sure there are some people listening that, that don't um, and haven't got to this book. Perhaps you could set up the story of Mercy for us and just tell us a little bit about Atlee and her backstory as well. Yeah, so the first uh, Adelie Pine book was Long Road to Mercy, and I meant that literally. It was going to be a long road to mercy. Mercy was Adelie's twin sister, uh, and when they were six years old living in Georgia, um, Mercy was abducted, and nobody knows what happened to her. And it destroyed Pine's family. Her parents got divorced. Uh, Her parents eventually disappeared, leaving just Adelie by herself. And it's been a long journey. It's been four books, you know, trying to find out what happened to Mercy. And in in the last novel, Mercy, you find out uh, sort of her horrific circumstances. Um, it's, only, it's the first time I've done a series where the underlying plot 
wasn't resolved in that book, but it kept going for four subsequent novels. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good a good length. I wasn't going to go to number five or number six. That would be too much. But four was a good number for me to allow two things. One, to get to know Atlee Pine, the character. Uh, and then two, you know, and have her solve mysteries along the way in each book that were unconnected to Mercy, but also having the, you know, the one plot line of Mercy all the way through the four books. Um, and at the end, you know, the situation is resolved. Um, but uh, it was just, you know, and Linwood knows this too, when you, you, you've been writing for many, many years, you have to challenge yourself to, you know, energize yourself. You don't want to keep writing the same book over and over again and just changing the people who are in the trunk, right? You just, <laughs> you, you have to, you just have to change, you have to challenge yourself. And, and we both have done that over time. And the way to do that is to get out of your comfort zone and try something you haven't done before, scare the crap out of yourself. You know, the, the, the worst writer in the world is the writer who thinks he or she's figured out how to write. And you know, once once you think you know what you're doing, you sit down and you you, know, you just become a factory turning out widgets. You gotta you know you sit down. You gotta be scared to death and to sit down and think I'm just I'm not up to this. I can't do this. This is this is too hard because that just gives you a little bit of an edge. You just try a little bit harder. Linwood's nodding there. Obviously thinks thinks the same. You got you try and scare yourself with each book, do you, Linwood? Well, I certainly think you know. Like I said, I I sent a book, a finished novel. From finished so far, off to my agent last week, and I often have this, I have this feeling at the end. It's like I can never do this again, and <laughs> I just felt for at least two days I was just completely and totally exhausted. Like that's it. I'll never have another book. I'll never have another idea. And but I mean, I, I'm usually like that at the end of every book, and then a bit of time goes by, and I get restless, and and my wife's tired of seeing me just sit around doing thing, doing nothing. So I get in, I do another one. And, but, but it can be at the time, you know, very draining. And I, and I think that there is that kind of, you know, when David talks about the fear, I think sometimes starting a book is like standing at the edge of a very cold pool and you think, I got to jump in, but I really don't want to, but it's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, it is. In every other job in the world, pretty much, you get really good at it by doing the same thing over and over again and massaging out any errors and stuff. And look, I wouldn't want to be on a plane where the pilot says, you know what, I've flown this plane the same way for 30 years. <laughs> Today I'm going to try something different. You know, hang on, people. Um, but as a, as a writer, you there are certain things you can do over the discipline and all that and collecting the research and that. But putting the story together... You know, every everything is a little bit different. Everything is a little bit new. And um, mm. if it's not, then you're just kind of you know retreading old ground. But um, if you if you approach every story with a little bit of you know wonderment and like I'm a seven year old kid again, it's not mm. a bad thing. And the trick is often, and I think it's very true for David and for myself, is that you want to give your readers uh, what they would expect from a new Linwood Barclay novel or a new David Bidouche. So you want to give them what, they, what they're expecting, but you don't want to give them the same thing that you gave them before. So it's kind of walking that tightrope of, I'm going to give you the sort of the sense of the kind of stuff you like from me, but, but I don't want to repeat myself. So that can often, that can be a yeah. challenge. Yeah. And recently, David, you sort of flip-flop between books, between eras as well. So you've had... For a gambling man, late 1940s, Los Angeles, and then the present day. And then for the new book that we're talking about now, which is coming out in April, you're sort of back in early 50s, Los Angeles again. So does that help as well to be, you know, in and out of eras and times and, and things like that? 
It does. I mean, I, you know, I was a history minor in college and I love reading history. It just fascinates me. Uh, more people should read history. You know, we repeat the mistakes of the past, but nobody listens to me on that. So we keep re repeating the mistakes of the past. Um, but it, it, so I go into a whole nother world and read about it and immerse myself in it and learn things about it that I didn't know before, which is always kind of a, kind of a supercharging event too. Like, okay, I'm a little more knowledgeable, but then it does, it makes you, I can't write, you know, a book set in the 1950s the same way that I'm going to write a book in contemporary times, you know, just the technology available. You know, I can't have my detective in the 1950s Google something. It's just not happening. So he has to use other sort of things, you know, shoe leather on the pavement and actually talking to people, which is interesting and nice. So in some ways it was liberating, um, you know, to be able to free. I always, you know, I, I, I knew Sue Grafton for years. She was one of the best writers we've ever had. I loved her to death. I was always envious about Kinsey Milhone because... You know, she didn't have to worry about all the crap that we have to worry about. Like you, you write a plot and you and you do it a certain way, and then you a reader writes and he goes, they could have just Googled that in three seconds and found out the answer. Why did you write? You're a detective. I had to run around doing all this crap, and she didn't have to worry about that. So in the fifties, I could I could sort of have that same sort of liberation. And but again, it's it's a new it's a different era. So I have to bring a different set of storytelling chops to it, different language um, and different mm -hmm. approach. So that's another way I sort of keep try to keep myself fresh is just throwing myself into places that are not common that are that I'm not familiar with. Mm. And and just before we started recording, uh, David and I were were discussing sort of writers of of that era and specifically talking about and writing about Hollywood and Los Angeles and Linwood. I recommended a book to David called um, "Ask the Dust," which is by John Fante. And I just wondered, have you have you read this book? Do you know no, of it? I don't know it. Okay, well then I've got to recommend it to you as well. Now. Yeah, I'm ordering it today. <laughs> I've done. I've already Sounds done my great. pitch on David, so you know I'm, I'm not. I'm going to spare him listening it again. But <laughs> I'm just. Great. I, yeah, it really is, and I'm. I'm just wondering how how known it, it is, you know, and evidently it needs a little bit of a, a push from me, <laughs> which is good. Um, and while we are in uh, 1950s Los Angeles, just just tell us about Dreamtown, because this is the, the new one, and this is a follow-on from A Gambling Man, is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's New Year's Eve, 1952. Um, Archer, Aloysius Archer is my detective. Now he's working in Los Angeles, the golden era of Hollywood. Um, and he's going out to celebrate the new year with his girlfriend, Liberty Callahan. She's an inspiring actress there, trying to make it in the world of Hollywood. Um, she's sort of at mid-level. Don't know if, as I, I write in the book, there's a difference between being a film star and just being another actress is how good your lighting guy is, <laughs> really, you know, in some ways. Uh, Rita Hayworth would certainly say that. And so uh, a woman approaches them at Chasen's restaurant, and she's a friend of uh, Liberty Callahan, Aloysius Archer's girlfriend, and she's a screenwriter, and um, she thinks somebody's trying to kill her. Um, she lives out in the canyons of Malibu, and so Archer sort of takes on the case. And uh, Linwood and I have talked about this before. This is sort of my, my homage to uh, Ross McDonald um, and his, his character, Lou Archer, and the depth of his storytelling. And he wasn't just a crime writer, you know, this guy, Put him in any genre you want. I don't care. You can't put him in a box. The guy could just flat out write and bring. He took Chandler to another level, basically. Um, and I, what I try to do is just make people really believe they were in 1952 Hollywood, and you know, give them just enough detail, but not too much to you know to make it a history book, 
to really feel like they were there. They could smell the cigarette smoke and see the cars and see the people, the guys putting the hats on and, and the women with their hats and their veils and how Hollywood really operated back then. And that's, you know, I tried to do that as, as well as I could. Um, and it was just, I loved writing it. You know, I just loved everything mm. about this, about this novel. Oh, that's great. I think Dave and I talked about this before because Ross McDonald was also a huge, was a huge inspiration to me. You know, I, I think when I was 15, I picked up uh, the goodbye look, a bantam paperback off a rack. And I became just completely consumed with his work to the point that actually I, he became kind of a friend. I knew him. And, um, oh, wow. and I have sitting on my shelf over here, a copy of his novel, Sleeping Beauty. Cause the night that I, I had dinner with him one night in uh, 1976 when I was 21 years old and he wrote in my copy of Sleeping Beauty for Linwood who will I hope someday outright me signed Kenneth Miller his real name bracket Ross right. McDonald May 1st wow. 1976 but he was so I mean I also I just, in one, my book No Time for Goodbye I have a main character whose last name is Archer so we have been similarly inspired <laughs> yeah no, he, he, you know, he was the guy who brought everything that I love in a story. Um, action, a really cool plot, great characters, but the psychological depth and observation um, that, you know, the books were in first person. And so you just really see the, the, the world through the Archer. But, you know, and you just evolve. I mean, he wrote a lot of books, 18 or 19 books with Archer. And, you know, obviously the years passed and the guy grew and matured and changed in some ways. And it was great to see that evolution. Um, and that's, you know, that's that sort of work that every writer, writer can aspire to, to do yeah. uh, and to bring that level of depth. It's really hard to bring, you know, great depth in a book you're trying to write that's action packed and page turner because, but they're not, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. You just have to work a little harder. And if someone listening is thinking, oh, yeah, I need to check this guy out. Are we suggesting you start at the beginning with book number one? Is that the way in? I don't, I, I don't think you need to with, with you know, I think that um, the Lou Archer novels, I think, are all in many ways kind of standalones. They are, as right. David said, they are kind of different over time. The first ones are sort of more sort of just pulpy detective novels. And as he progresses in his novels, you, you get more of these psychological undertones and, and, and McDonald starts taking on sort of issues, societal issues like in Sleeping Beauty, it's environmentalism. And, and so, but I think you can really, you can really dive in just about anywhere. Right. In the, in the later books, too, I mean, the 60s and 70s, he really took on issues of um, drug addiction. His daughter suffered from that and died from it. Um, and so mm -hmm. really brought a lot of meaning to those stories for me. I did, you know, you, you watch a man grow up in age, you know, over time mm -hmm. and to yeah. see how, you know, we all do that. You know, some of us do it longer than others. <laughs> the lucky ones get to live a little longer. Um, if anybody wants to jump in, I mean, a lot of people would think that, that The Chill is his very best book. I reread The Blue Hammer last week, which was his last Lou Archer book. But like I say, you jump in anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And But for the benefit of the Kenneth Miller family and his publisher, buy the entire Collected Works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Quite well said. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's time for The Book Off, where each of you is going to tell us about a book you love and you think we should all read. You're going to get three minutes each to tell us about this book, uninterrupted, and you don't have to use your three minutes if you don't want to but if you're still talking by the three minute mark you're either going to be honked out by the horn or rung out by the school bell so um <laughs> let's find out who wants to go first and who wants to go second david are you feeling confident at stepping up first or are you gonna cede it to linwood all right and linwood at the three minute mark would you rather the horn or the bell to 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 take you out I'd like to hear the horn from that car that's in the, a gambling man. What's the horn on that? It's just oh yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've got one of those. One of those. That'd be. What would that be? Sort of like something like I don't know. Yeah, I'll try and embellish this one for you. Yeah. So David, you're going first. Just before we start your three minutes, perhaps you'll tell us what book you're putting forward for us. It's cast. I got a copy here by Isabel Wilkerson. Fantastic. All right, three minutes on the clock then. You don't have to use it all to tell us about cast. Over to you. I was a political science major in college, so I'm sort of fascinated by the subject matter of cast. It's really a political science book. And she answers the fundamental question that has been befuddling me for decades. You know, why do people consistently vote against their own economic interests? And in this book, Cass, she sort of answers this. It's, it's about a lot about the United States, but it could be applied to lots of different countries around the world. So people will vote against their economic interests uh, for one valid reason, one big reason. If they are at the, the bottom rung of the ladder, <clears throat> so long as there's somebody else right beneath them, usually people of color in this country, they're okay with voting against their economic interests. They don't think they're going to realize the American dream anymore. They're going to be minimum wage. They're going to work in a warehouse. They're going to get their happiness from somewhere else. But they don't want to be at the very bottom of the caste system. They want to be at least one level above. And if you allow them to do that... And, and sort of go after them with cultural issues, you know, religion, gay, abortion rights and all that, 
then they're perfectly fine voting for a political party that has no interest in helping them economically, will never propose any economic policy will actually help them, and will keep them very well at the, near the bottom, but not at the bottom. And these people have, have thought about that and said, you know what, so long as I'm not at the very, very bottom and there's people who don't look like me, who are below me, I will vote for you over and over again, even though I know you're not going to do anything to help me in my entire life at all. And you throw in a few cultural war things like gay, gay rights and abortion, and that makes me happy, and then we're done. Mm. It sounds simplistic, but it works, and it, it's worked consistently, not just in this country, but in other countries around the world. And so caste is that caste system. I don't want to be at the bottom. If I'm not at the bottom, I'm with you. Fantastic. Very well and concisely done, David, with 25 seconds to spare. Love that. Uh, we'll come back and uh, talk about it in just a moment, but you can uh, take a breather now. <laughs> have a have a sip of tea. Uh, Linwood, I'm going to put three minutes back on the clock, and before we uh, let you launch into your pitch, just tell us the book that you're putting forward, please. I'm going to talk about... Well, I was going to just withdraw, because David sounds really good. Um, yeah. Cass sounds really terrific, and it's and it, it explores a question that I have wondered forever. So you know, but but you know, I got to do something. So I'm going to do uh, Ken Follett's Never. That's my book. Fantastic. Well, which I now uh, three minutes. My is, arm is exhausted just lifting it up. But anyway. just lifting that. Yeah, it looks quite heavy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I put three minutes back on the clock then for you, Lidwood, to tell us all about Never. Over to you. All right, so again, my book is Ken Follett's Never, which even now I'm thinking is great for arm exercises because I think it comes in at about 800 and some pages. And, you know, I used to read Follett like crazy, the, the earlier novels, Eye of the Needle, Key to Rebecca, all those men from St. Petersburg. I just gobbled them and devoured them. And then he started writing these, these probably wonderful, but these big door stoppers, you know, the pillars of the earth and so forth. And they were historical. And I don't read that much historical. And I kind of got kind of lost him for a while there and I was looking at Never in the store and reading the jacket and just based on the jacket I thought I have to get this book and it is contemporary modern times and I have rarely read a book that feels so timely this is a book that covers various different stories happening around the world at the same time and what Follett talks about in the beginning is how you know we've had world wars that started from small incidents that no one intended for this to really happen and things spiraled out of control and suddenly you've got millions of people going to war and so forth. And he looks at that idea and looks at it now with, with all these various stories, like a Chinese spy master who's working away at something and dealing with his own sort of bureaucracy. You've got a, a woman president of the United States who's dealing with all sorts of issues and a, and a populist opponent. And you've got this fellow working undercover in the Mideast who's tracking down a terrorist. And all these stories are starting to intersect and come together. And in the hands of a lot of writers, this, these would have all been sort of cardboard, sort of stock characters filling in all the spots. But none of them are. They're all so fully realized and you really care about them. And this 800-page doorstopper, I raced through this book. And with what's going on now between with Ukraine and Putin and all the stuff that's going on, this book has never felt more current or more timely or more frightening. So I highly recommend Never by Ken Follett. Oh, beautifully done. Hold on, I'll give you a bit of French horn. Not that one. Oh la la. There we go. Especially for especially for a gambling man. And oh you I mean you you two are so succinct and precise with your pitching it must be that you you know pitch for tv or maybe it's the journalism in you Linwood. that was uh, fabulous um let's uh, talk about 
cast just a little bit more, David, which just sounds absolutely fascinating and very important. As you say, it sounds like a, a book that everyone should read. And now, I mean, this you, you said it's a simple question, but the, obviously this book is incredibly well researched and really explores it. And I suppose it's not it's not something I've ever really thought of being on a low rung of a ladder and happy if someone is lower. I feel like, you know, your book sounds so good because it sounds like I'm going to, it's like people are thinking, I'm going to vote against my interests and vote for you because you hate the same people I hate. And that's good enough for me. I mean, it just sounds so important, you know, it's an important read for now and probably something that I would imagine we, you know, us in the UK or someone in Canada or anywhere in the world could still read, even though it's predominantly about the US. It's it's gonna, we we're going to get something from it, and it and it's issues that affect all, us all over the world, isn't it? I I absolutely think so. But you know, it's for me. It's I want to try to understand what's going on in the world right now. Mm. We are mm. we're a country divided right now. I don't even know if we can sustain. We're the the world's longest living experiment of democracy. I don't know if we can sustain it much longer. We're mm. we're a house divided uh, because certain people in power realize that real power comes from dividing people, not uniting people. You look at every autocratic nation around the world, that is the playbook, and it works really well. You have to make sure that the ones in power can keep those not in power never having a voice. You know, Russia does it really well. Other autocratic countries around the world do it really well. Mm. Um, and so CAS sort of explodes that. And it's, a, it's a book that says people, if you, if you just understand what's going on, <clears throat> it will give you a voice to actually help you when the people you're voting for have no interest at all in helping you. Uh, and Linwood, when someone says to me, well, this is 800 pages plus, they better back it up with something like your pitch because <laughs> it's not it's not every day or every week I can I can get into it. But um, I love the fact you said, you know, you, you gobbled up Ken Follett in, in the early days. Uh, and this is obviously a much, a much later novel. And the fact that it feels so timely... It, is it the cat because you talked about this great cast of characters and the different strands and everything and is it those that really made it for you oh yeah it's it's absolutely i mean yes it has a great plot it has and so forth but i don't think any of it would work would have worked if these character portraits weren't really authentic and if you didn't care yeah. about these people and and uh so the book works so well on so many levels which and and it is a real I thought I found it a real page turner I mean I really look with it you know if somebody if Stephen King writes a book, a book that's 800 pages I'll do it but for yeah. but for most most people yeah. out there 800 pages like I got stuff to do you know and so but just just I, and it helped that I read this over sort of the holidays through between Christmas and New Year's but I was I've never ripped through an 800 page book that fast it sounds fabulous and obviously Ken Follett is just such a great writer and I, you have sold it incredibly well Linwood um two very different books and two brilliant pictures um and gosh it's hard to know where to go is it but as as I think you said Linwood earlier you know I think Cast might have to take it on this occasion so congrats to you David Woo. uh because I think in terms of being an incredibly timely book but also something that everyone should read i think you know this this sounds like a book that, that everyone should be i think they up. should i think they should read both because i, I think you know Follett's book it, there you it, go 
it, it takes it takes you know sort of what Cass is talking about and puts it into real time real time discussions and events going on right now. I think book. How about bookends? Writers love bookends. beautiful. So just, yes. There we go. Oh, well, I, because of David's generous words, I will now not say that this whole thing's been rigged. <laughs> you withdraw that. Okay, very good. Yeah. Linwood wants to seize the voting machines. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Right. It's, 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 it's around here somewhere. I'm just putting in a call to the Pentagon to seize all copies of Cast. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, they, they will not be on any bookshelf, and they will not be on any, any bookshelf in Texas. No, no. I can tell that, you that. <laughs> that, uh, that book and Mouse, forget it. Nobody's going to find those. Right? <laughs> Thank you so much for both of those pitches, though, and those brilliant recommendations. And Dreamtown by David Baldacci is out in the UK in April and published by Macmillan. And Take Your Breath Away by Linwood Barclay is out now, published by HQ. And what an absolute pleasure it's been to have you both on the podcast. Lovely to see you again, Linwood. Lovely to see you again, David. Next time, maybe it'll be over a stake here in London. Perfect. That would be great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thanks a lot. Okay, Take guys. Care. Take care. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.